Welcome to Season 2 of Speakeasy Security, the podcast from ESET. I'm Ransom Burkett, Head of Public Relations at ESET North America. And I'm Tony Anscombe, Chief Security Evangelist for ESET. All right. And this week, we're covering a recent hack at a corporation that's unlike anything you've ever heard of. Why? Because in this hack, the cyber criminals completely messed up the hack. I mean, they blew it. And yet, still, they still got paid. Now, we're talking about the hack of BlackBod. This is a significant hack because it focuses on universities and charity organizations that use their services. Now, BlackBot is a company that's been providing technology solutions and services to the social good community for over 30 years, which is kind of like us, Tony. We're, we've been in business for over 30 years at ESET. But their customers are in the social good community, which include nonprofits, foundations, education institutions, and universities. So a huge mix of social good organizations. And as the world's leading cloud software company powering social good, BlackBot sits in a very interesting position in general, but especially during these unprecedented times where social good is happening pretty much around the clock. So Tony, you found this breach. What makes it so unique? So it's definitely unique, Ransom. And actually, it was brought to my attention by a friend who sent me the notification that he got from their university. And the notification was was detailed about the, the Blackboard data breach, and it gave a little bit more detail, in pretty much the same detail that was in the Blackboard data breach notification itself that's on their website. But if you look at what happened, that's the super interesting piece. So it was a ransomware attack. Now, we all know ransomware attacks are, you know, where somebody steps in, encrypts the data, holds the data to ransom. Somebody either pays or they get a decryptor or they rebuild their systems. It's you know, one of the three scenarios. But there's another scenario here. The cybersecurity team at Blackboard and the forensics expert they brought in and law enforcement successfully thwarted this attack. Really? So okay. they fended off the cyber criminal. But unfortunately, the cyber criminal, that bad actor, had already got a copy of a subset of the data. So they'd already managed to take a piece of the data off site. So they held it to ransom, so to speak. They offered to delete it for a fee. Uh, but the the important thing is, is actually the cyber defenses pretty much did work to stop the ransomware encrypting all of their data and becoming more devastating than it actually was. But it's still pretty devastating. Let's not belittle that because there's lots of victims out there. Sure. So they, they stopped the attack. Their, their IT and cyber team stopped the attack, but yet there was still some set of data that was gathered or, or taken. Is that right? Absolutely. So the cyber criminal contacted them and turned around and said, well, for a fee, I will delete this data. Now, you might, you know, do you believe the cyber criminal has data, uh, deleted it if you pay or not deleted it? Uh, there is There are forensic ways, I assume, that the forensic expert involved in here actually checked to make sure they had deleted it and Blackwell paid. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. You're kidding me. They paid even though they stopped a good portion of the attack. They did. And this is a really interesting point because we saw last year, if you remember the back end of last year, we saw a couple of Florida cities pay up ransoms. Just recently, we saw use, uh, the University of San Francisco pay $1.1 million to a ransomware cyber criminal. Don't know the sum in this particular instance, but we know they've paid. And this is where 
actually this is very, very bad because, of course, you pay the cyber criminal. He, I'm sure he's going to have a, a pleasant afternoon out with the money he's got, afternoon tea somewhere, in his Ferrari. I it should point out. Yeah, so just, just to put the perspective incorrectly. And, and drinking with his pinky up, right? A pinky I'm up. Sh- I'm sure, okay. yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, but if you look at that money, where does it go? And it doesn't go, unfortunately, just to the Ferrari in the afternoon tea. It goes to fund the next Cyber Criminal Act. Yeah. It yeah. gives them the resources and the, mo- uh, the money they need to go off and launch the next or more attacks it funds future attacks. So it's self-serving. When any organization pays, they're protecting themselves and maybe their customers, but they're actually maybe damaging their own customers in other attacks. So if you take it, then the cyber criminal goes and launches four more attacks. Some of those same people are going to get wrapped up in it again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I mean, they're actually funding cyber crime, which is a really bad thing. Yeah, I was going to say they're kind of financing the, the the criminals themselves after after paying, right? Well, absolutely, uh, and yeah, you know, that that's a terrible position to be in because you're giving them more and more resources, and what you're doing is showing people that maybe are not involved in cybercrime today that actually cybercrime pays. Yeah. Yeah, right. I mean, hey, they found a victim that was partially affected, even though, as you said, there was a large number of data. We're going to get into that. But they ended up paying, and the cyber criminal, as I said earlier, kind of screwed up the hack and still walks away with a payday. So, you know, as as far as, you know, barriers to entry, I think they kind of came away saying, wow, this performed better or worse. Now, let's be clear, I'm not sure. Maybe you can share an update later, but I'm not sure if these guys have been apprehended, similar to the to the gentleman or the few people that have been uh, apprehended in the Twitter hack, but that that might be something that we can uh, we can look at later. But in the most part, these guys actually got paid. Absolutely, and our good friend Bitcoin in there. Yeah. I'm sure we can never write cryptocurrency to allow them to receive money anonymously, and I will try not to rant and say that cryptocurrencies in some way should be regulated. Yeah, yeah. Well, we know that they probably could and should be, but hey, we'll see why why they won't be. So let, let's go back into the hack. So you said there was kind of a, a subset of data. I mean, do, do we do we know what subset was taken, or is this something not revealed just yet? Well, some of the detail has been revealed. So we know that the common things like name, gender, date of birth, email address, phone number, etc., were all part of that subset of data that was taken. But you've also got extracurricular activities, profession, employer, educational attainment. Now, this is the level of data that if you think about a cyber, what's a cyber criminal going to do with this? So he's got, you know, several. They've got several options. One is to head off towards identity theft, or the other is to go down a phishing, a spear phishing campaign, where they're going to come after you personally, the people in the breach personally, and try and get credentials or try and get you to fill out credit card information. And it's going to be a well crafted email, isn't it? If I can tell you that. I know what your extracurricular activities are. And so I can now write an email about, hey, Ransom, I've got this fishing charter going out on Sunday and I wonder whether you'd like to be part of this, but I just need you to sign up on this web page and we're offering 50% discount. Bang, I've got you. Uh, yeah, you do. You, you, you know, I know that you're going to fill out that website. You know I will. You know I will. I love fishing. <laughs> yeah. 
So th there we see enough information for somebody to actually go off down a very specific spear phishing. Now, if we know the company, uh, so some of the other information in there was activity, occupation, and or employer. If you add some of those elements of data into that spear phishing, suddenly now, if I know your employer and I know some of your extracurricular activities, could I spear fish and actually go off and attack the next victim? Yes. for a data breach because potentially that's going to give me credentials to get somewhere. Wow. You're absolutely right. And thinking through that entire concept that you just took us through shows us how powerful information that many would feel to be kind of, you know, invaluable or innocuous creates some value for those that are trying to exploit it, you know? So. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that uh, the person that brought this to my attention originally who sent me a notification from a university in the UK. Uh, it, what was super interesting about this was one of the things you can look for, of course, is identity theft. So you can take a service with one of the either credit agencies or with some specialized companies that will look for your information being sold on the dark web. So it's on that kind of black market for data. Or, of course, they will look to see whether somebody's trying to access your credit file. So if somebody's trying to get credit in your name. Now, what's interesting was when this person brought the email to me, I turned and we had a conversation about the implications of a data breach. One of the things I said, have they offered you identity theft monitoring or protection? No. So that person really? then emailed back to the university and within an instant, they had a license key for identity theft monitoring. Now, my point here is, why wasn't it offered up front? Why is it only being offered to those that ask? Yeah. It should be offered to all victims. Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely right. Because everybody needs that additional layer of protection, or at least should have the opportunity to have that additional layer of protection. Especially given be, what's just happened. Yeah. Yeah, it shouldn't be something you have to ask for. Uh, so I'm kind of, kind of a bit disappointed that any organisation would with would withhold that. Agreed. Uh, yeah. And I should point out, in this instance, I think it was the university withholding that, not Blackboard. Not Blackboard However, yeah. you know, as Blackboard being the primary person in this top of this triangle, yeah, to me, I think they should be offering it all the way down. Uh, but they're clustered, they're clustered hmm? I think, as the data processor. So from a data privacy legislation point of view, the data controller is the end company. And the data okay. processor is Blackboard. So I think it's the responsibility, unfortunately, of the end customer. End customer, which is the, the university at this point. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, wow. So universities, nonprofits, and others, they could have provided this proactively. But apparently, as you said, it's on a one-by-one -one or a request basis, which that almost blows my mind given that, again, the scope and scale of the breach, but also um, the data that, as we said, could possibly be, could have could have been extracted, you know? Um, this is interesting. So I, I do have a question then, as we just kind of talked about the university component, uh, there's a number of universities, US and UK based that are part of this breach. They're BlackBot customers. Um, and it brings up a pretty interesting question in a scenario that you had mentioned, which is the value of that information of those affected, whether you're, you know, on the faculty side or if you're an uh, incoming or returning student, you know, the value of that data to the cyber criminal is immense, right? Absolutely. Uh, and some of that also includes people that may have been on your don uh, donating list. 
So people are willing to make donations to some of these charitable organisations, which is a super important part of funding, as we know, especially in some educational establishments. So will something like this that's so broad sweeping across so many educational organisations, will it actually make people think twice about being a donor? Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, your 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 credentials, the potential donation amounts, your interests are also listed there. Yeah, the, someone could create a, a decent profile of you knowing this information. And some people might not actually want to be uh, known to have been a donor. So even if they don't have the amounts they donated or anything like that, just the fact that you know somebody is a donor could you know be publicly interesting yeah was it a celebrity making a donation to a school yeah yeah and then hey what was the school <laughs> great you know yeah you're right you're right there's a there's a huge implication behind the knowing you know versus the amounts but knowing who did what so speaking of who did what do we know who is behind this hack somebody slimy somebody slimy <laughs> i'd say yeah pretty slimy to hack non-NGOs and non-profits and universities. That's, yeah, you're right. That's pretty low. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, we don't know who's behind it, unfortunately, at the moment. All right. No worries. Well, hopefully in the coming days, law enforcement will make some progress because, yeah, it's um, hacking the group that's responsible for, you know, just getting and supporting the social good just seems completely wrong, if you ask me. I mean, I'm not saying any hack is right, but that, that just seems completely out of character for anyone. Um you you mentioned something, I think, when we started talking about this topic, and you coined an interesting name for this type of an attack. What, what did you call it? Well, it actually came from, I started writing a blog, and I couldn't work out how to title the blog. So okay. you put ransomware. Well, it wasn't ransomware because there was no encryption of data. So I coined it hostageware. Oh, wow. Hostageware. I like that. So ransomware to hostageware. And why would you call it hostageware? Because they're holding that deleted file hostage until you pay me, which is a kind of ransom, but it, it was, but without the encryption piece. Yeah. So it's, no, it's, makes... They're just holding it hostage. And yeah, to me, I would never trust the person that's broken into my system to have deleted it. Yeah, me either. That's, um, I mean, that's quite trusting of BlackBot. And in fact, in their blog, if you guys want to read it, we're going to put this in the show notes. Uh, BlackBot talks about how they had no reason to believe that they weren't going to delete the data after they published it. So um, have a read for yourself. It's a very interesting security blog. We'll put the link in there, but um, they kind of detail what happened and, and all accounts are, are from, from BlackBot themselves. So you guys will have a look at that after, uh, after we're done with the show. Um, so, okay. Hostageware. I love it. I think that's a great title. And I think hopefully that that'll get used hopefully more often, but hopefully there won't be any more hostageware attacks. Um, Getting a little bit more granular, do we know if there are other regions that were affected, Tony? So obviously I mentioned a, a university based in the UK, but yes, there are uh, lots of victims here. And if you, if you go and look up victims of the Blackboard data breach in the US, you'll see 20, 30 different organizations and establishments. So if you get a little bit more granular than that and bring it home, if you look at the Attorney General's website for California, they list a growing number of data breach notifications. So if, you, if there's over 500 California residents that need to be notified, they have to actually give a copy of the notification to the, the Attorney General. And fortunately, they put it on their website. And uh, sure enough, there are uh, notice of data breaches 
to do with this particular data breach. Uh, in fact, I've got one right here in front of me for Ventura College Foundation. Okay. Uh, the, and this particular email example was going to the Ventura College Women's Basketball Program. I'm writing to inform you about the situation may have exposed some of your personal information, blah, blah, blah. So unfortunately, you know, it does affect people far and wide and all around the world. That's just, I mean, it's funny, and it's not funny, excuse me, it's it's interesting to follow the the thread, right? You just, you unravel a bit and you see more and more. And as you're saying, from California to the UK and probably many other countries and cities, it's been, it's been bigger than most people know. And, and I was talking to just general people asking if they'd even heard of this hack and they hadn't, but um, knowing how large this is and for a company the size of Blackbot and the industries in which they serve, I'm glad that we're talking about this one because many times the, you know, the, the shiny, the, the, the celebrity hacks are the big ones, right? You know, with Twitter and others, sure, they, they were using some A-listers and, and other people's names and they were doing some pretty bad things. But with this one, I think it's equally important because of how uniquely positioned BlackBot is and also their customer base that you're talking about. So I'm really glad that we're talking about this one, um, which kind of, I guess, maybe segues into something we were talking about earlier. And I think you're getting ready to put out some content on this. And and, and I've heard you speak about this previously, which is there's been an enormous amount of attacks, right? COVID hasn't slowed down anything. In fact, it may have exacerbated the, the whole thing. But you had some data that you shared with regards to how many attacks were happening during the year or at, at a certain point in the year. Do you, do you have some idea of what that is now? Or is there a way that we can figure out what the potential number of hacks will be for the year? <laughs> Why are there the same number of attacks during this pandemic? Well, it's because the cyber criminals can't travel the world spending their money. Need to shore up resources somehow, right? Yeah, okay. So they've got they've got to do something. You know, we're we're all watching Netflix and binging TV. You know, they're sitting there looking for the next victim. Yeah. But anyway, on a more serious note, so the problem is, is there's no centralized database for the globe on data breaches. So I've done a little calculation, uh, and I hope my math is at least in somewhere near correct. Or in fact, I'd like to think it's not correct when we come out with the end number. So going back to that California list, so if 500 more or more Californian residents have had to been sent a notice, then the Attorney General gets a copy of the notice. Okay. So that means all data breaches in California that are over 500 people or 500 Californian residents are listed. So if we take June... June 2020, there were 38 different notifications listed on the Attorney General's website. So if you now take the number of uh, the population, so the population count in California, and you multiply that number up, it means there would be 7,500 breaches globally oh, get out. per month. <laughs> Seven and a half thousand breaches per month globally. Wow. So now the next piece of data that that we need is, so what's the average breach? How many of people are involved in the average breach? So how many, you know, how many actual victims are there? Uh, now, Statistica uh, have a monitoring system for this, and they say that between 2005 and 2019, if I take all the data breaches that have happened and all the numbers of records they've collected, 
the average number is 155,000 records per breach. So now we know there are 7,500 breaches. There's 155,000 records. So how's your math today, Ransom? It's, it's, it's not the best. I can't, I can't calculate at the top of my head, but go ahead. It's got a lot of zeros. Uh, it's, yeah. uh, full, it's, the number comes out at 14 billion records a year. Well, let me put that a different way. That means every person on the planet is breached almost twice a year. Oh, get out. So next time I give one of those speeches at a conference and I ask the audience, have you ever been part of a data breach? When only half the audience put their hand up, I just know they're wrong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just by, the, just by the sheer odds, right? Gosh, Tony. So that's a very compelling calculation for what, as you said, seems to be an engine that's not slowing down or stopping, right? I mean, if there's that much activity, I mean, and, and we're seeing, as you said, no slowdown. The tools are becoming more sophisticated. The methods of attack are, are getting better and people are falling for things like phishing, spear phishing and other, other things. I'm just, I'm curious, what can be done? Is it a tech? Is it a training? What, what can be done to maybe not be that weakest link? You know, what, what, could, what could potentially solve or, or lessen the impact that, that we're seeing from cyber criminals? Well, unfortunately, we, we know that most of these breaches come from human mistake or error because it's a spear phishing link or it's a phishing attack. Somebody gives away credentials and they give away access to the company crown jewels of Bing data. Uh, and that's all too frequent, unfortunately. So cybersecurity awareness training, you know, companies driving the point home with their employees about vigilance and you know being cautious of clicking on those links or giving away any information. But I feel we're becoming very repetitive here. So let, yeah, let me, yeah, yeah let, let, let's think of this a different way. I'm just curious whether we should start the Oscars for the person that's been affected by the most breaches. <laughs> I like that. So award the most the most breached or, or, or affected person. Yeah. Well, and we could have an Oscar for the person that's not been in any breach, but I'm not sure we'd be able to find one. Yeah. No kidding. Right. I mean, given the numbers that you've said, it's twice per person, right? Yeah. It's, it's, uh, it's a lot of people. I think they would have to be an infant or a newborn, right? <laughs> they just, they just, they've just been born and they don't have an account or, or credentials to anything. And, you know, that's the only way that they could not be affected, right? I mean, it's gotten to the point where you're saying, you know, if you have a credential or a login, it's pretty likely that you're going to be affected by one of these things. Wow, that blows me away. Well, for that, I've got to tell you, I need a drink, Tony, after hearing that. It is good news. I have to say, it is good news in that, yes, this attack was thwarted. Um, it's also eye-opening in that um, there are capable cyber teams that can catch and thwart these attacks. However, there's a little bit of a lesson learned too, with regards to the fact that, you know, Blackbot paid and as you said, kind of have, have been trusting that the, the compromised data was, was deleted. So uh, a little bit of a silver lining in this one. Yeah, absolutely. The other thing I'd add is, you know, if you've been involved in a data breach, you ask, ask the company who's notified you, make sure they've offered you this identity theft protection. Yeah. You know, yeah. Even if it's only a small piece of, Technology that's scanning the dark web for your information, oh, it might save your information at some stage. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's huge. I think without Blackbot or even the university, the end user, 
uh, providing this proactively. If you're listening to this and you think that you may have been affected, definitely give those universities a ring um, because as Tony, as you've just said, they're offering this for free, but it's a, on a request basis, not proactively. Absolutely. So what are you drinking this week then? I'm, I'm going to hold up, I'm going to hold up something special here. This is a, this is a bottle of Basil Hayden's dark rye. And I have to tell you this, uh, Kentucky straight rye whiskey is something to be desired. I don't break it out very often, but Hey, this is a, this is a special gift to me. And this is the first episode of season two. So I figured we went out last season with a nice cold beer. I'm going to start this one off with a nice old fashioned. So this is my old fashioned. And what about you? Well, as you know, I like my English ales or my stouts, but this week is a Voodoo IPA. Oh, yes. Okay. Good man. Voodoo IPA. Well, I'm going to cheers you from afar. And I'm going to say I'm happy to be doing season two with you. We've got a great lineup here. We're going to have some special guests this season. We still have a bunch of koozies. I've, I'm waiting for some DMs. I've got a few koozies here to give out to the first 10 people that hit us up on Twitter, at RansonBB, on Twitter for Tony, Tony at ESET. And we'll get these things mailed out to you so you can keep your beers and drinks cold this summer uh, and leading into, of course, the fall. Um we're going to sign off right now, but Tony, I want to say thank you for even joining us here. This is a great show that I like co-hosting with you, and, and, and we're going to have some fun for our listeners this year. It's been awesome as always, Ransom, and uh, I'm signing off. All right. 